0: Purdue Global, Purdue's online
1: university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P A C A S O.com.
2: Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So, you know how Charles Dickens was known for being wordy, right? How do you mean? All right. Well, just listen to the first sentence of A Tale of Two Cities. And I know you know the very beginning of this, but I'd forgotten what this whole sentence was like. So, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. I mean, that's honestly barely half the sentence. It just keeps going and going. So he's basically the king of run-on sentences, is what you're saying. Well, yes, but here's what I learned recently. Like, it's no surprise that Dickens rambles, but actually I'd heard that it was because he was getting
3: paid by the word. Yeah, I mean, he wrote those serialized novels and magazines, so that kind of makes sense, right? Well,
2: I read something this week that his books like Bleak House were actually based on total sales, not on word count. And, you know, the reason he was guilty of so many run-on sentences wasn't that he was trying to rack up the money. It was because he was using the language to satirize how pompous people of the era spoke. And that's just the first of nine stories we've got today about language and grammar. So let's dig in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikater, and sitting behind the soundproof glass, wearing a shirt that has five commas and a lizard on it. I'm trying to figure out what
3: to—oh, I get it, okay. Comma, 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 <laughs> chameleon.
2: You get it, Manga?
3: Yeah. Actually, Tristan told me about this shirt. He got it when he found out that you were really into boy joy. Oh,
2: such a nice guy. And I, I think he's probably in the triple digits in the number of T-shirts he's worn in honor of our episodes now. But that's our <laughs> friend and producer, Tristan McNeil.
3: So I actually want to kick this off by saying I like grammar jokes. Uh, you know, eat, shoots and leaves The comma, citra. Stop. Grammar time. Like, I love these jokes. And we've printed tons of them over the years. But I actually think my cousin Shanath, who is brilliant, might have written one of the cleverest grammar jokes of all time. Want to hear it? Of course, I'll never turn down a a good grammar joke, Mango. (laughs) So there's a guy who has a stomach pain, right? And he goes to the doctor and he's howling and he's complaining and the doctor checks him out and he tells him, look, this isn't good. You've got a severe problem here and there are only two ways to treat it. I could take out half your colon Or I could give you medicine, but you're going to be chronically constipated. What do you want to do? (laughs) And so the guy thinks about it and thinks about it. And he says, just go ahead and take out half my colon. And the doctor goes, why'd you choose that option? And he says because I prefer a semicolon to a full stop. I think I I saw where that was going. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, it's a cute joke, right? And you don't get cute jokes about grammar and constipation at the same time. It's true. It's hard to come by
2: one of those. All right, well, let's move on to some facts. That was a good joke, but why don't I start us off with the Banksy of punctuation. And this is a grammar vigilante in England who goes around fixing apostrophes. And I know that sounds weird, but he does this, like, in the cloak of darkness. Like, a true superhero fighting bad grammar with the help of his trusty apostrophizer as he says
3: so what is an apostrophizer
2: well it sounds fancy but it's actually just a broom handle with two sponges where you can place stickers (laughs) to cover up apostrophes or like put them in phrases occasionally he's been doing this for about a decade and he also uses a scalpel and tries to be very neat about it but apparently people have very mixed feelings about his work some, of course, applaud the correction of grammar around town and others, you know, mostly shopkeepers. They're kind of upset because, you know, they've got to either replace the signs or live with the occasional bad sticker job.
3: And what about when people say it's vandalism or, or like it's a
2: crime to do this? Well, he has a response to that. He's actually gone on record saying the grammar mistakes are the much bigger crimes here.
3: <laughs> that is a bold stance <laughs> but well uh, what's interesting to me is that your grammar banksy isn't the only grammar vigilante out there i read this great story of these guys in 2008 who'd i think graduated from dartmouth and then they set out on this great american grammar hunt and they called themselves teal which i guess stood for um the typo eradication advancement league and they <laughs> kind of had a similar mission so uh the newspapers described their road trip across America as part Kerouac, part grammar Nazi, just right. fixing signs and store windows wherever they went. And it went fine for a while. Like they went through a number of states, but when they got to the Grand Canyon, they fixed up the sign that had errors, but it turned out to be this historic preservation sign oh, and no. they got
2: caught and arrested. So what happened to them after that?
3: They actually got banned from national parks for a year and they had to pay about $3,000 in fines, which, you know, they happily did. But what's funny is that one of the guy's diary entries was used in the court case. And this is what it says, quote, I discovered a hand rendered sign inside that I regret to report had a few errors. I know today (laughs) was supposed to be my day off from typo hunting, but if I may be permitted to quote that most revered of Android law enforcers, Inspector Gadget, always on duty. I can't shut it off. Will we never be free from the shackles of apostrophic misunderstanding, even in a place surrounded by natural beauty? Like, you, <laughs> <laughs> he was super entitled. But I was going to say that sounds pretty entitled there. Yeah. The weirdest thing is that while they uh, whited out a lot of errors, they left one. It was the misspelling of the word immense, which I guess started with an E on the sign. They left that because they would have defaced the sign too much. But one of the guys basically said that he still has nightmares over not fixing that error.
2: Wow. So I'm curious, though, do you know why they were so passionate about fixing these grammatical errors? Like, was it just for fun or some other
3: mission here? I mean, apparently they got really into grammar after winning these spelling bees in middle school. So (laughs) they just took it on after that.
2: That's pretty good. All right. Well, here's a pretty funny one. So did you realize that Julius Caesar wrote two books about Latin grammar?
3: So... I actually did know this. I I, I remember the fact from our magazine days, uh, uh, along with the story that um, one time Caesar got caught by pirates and they offered this ransom for him and he thought the ransom was too low. So he increased it. He made them increase it because he felt undervalued. But, (laughs) But you were saying he was a grammar fiend as well, right? Yeah, and, and one of
2: the weirdest parts, like, he wrote these books while in battle, and our researcher Eves found this fact that that I love. So, whenever Marcus Aurelius used to complain that he didn't have time to read, his tutor used to annoyingly bring up that Julius Caesar managed to write a whole book on language, and he was conquering Gaul at the same time as writing this
3: book. <laughs> I feel like that's when like your mom keeps comparing you to like the goody two-shoots down the street who's so perfect. you know? <laughs> right, It's like, right. Caesar could write a book while he was in battle. You can't yeah, even find can't time to read it. <laughs> so here's a quick one I hadn't heard. Uh, apparently in 1954, Winston Cigarettes debuted this new filter tip cigarette, and it had the slogan, Winston tastes real good like a cigarette should, right? and it mm-hmm. wasn't controversial because of this filter tip or or how tasty cigarettes are you know it was pushing this idea that cigarettes can be so tasty people actually disliked the slogan because it was ungrammatical <laughs> and uh, grammar snobs didn't appreciate the use of the word like when they should have been using as i guess and I, I got this from ad age but one famous author at the time this guy john mason brown did a 20 minute rant on air and said it caused him physical pain to hear the slogan. <laughs> but then he ended his bit by pulling out a Winston from his pocket, lighting up, and saying, But I think the cigarette is great. Right, right. <laughs> which feels a little hypocritical. Anyway, the grammar debate got to such a groundswell that Winston actually added a tagline to their tagline, which was, What do you want? Good grammar or good taste?
2: And and I'm curious, what what did people want?
3: good taste, I guess I mean <laughs> all of this discussion propelled Winston like into the top cigarette spot I guess and after just nine months the brand sold six point5 billion of the new cigarettes
2: oh because they were just so tasty I guess it's just such a weird <laughs> way to <laughs> describe something like that I mean it it is weird that people could get so up in arms about this kind of thing I mean I love how passionate they are
3: yeah but I I, I mean like I, I don't understand that type of grammar issue, right like it sounds good to the ear. It sounds pleasing enough. People understand you, you know, I understand grammar for the most part, but um, I also like breaking the laws of grammar. Uh, (laughs) Take great pleasure in that. (laughs) So, uh, so where, where do you want to go from here?
2: I feel like we should go from tasty cigarettes to the animal kingdom, and specifically the bengal finch. Now, the bengal finch needs strict syntax to communicate, and I know that may sound weird. You know, like you think about their chirping sentences, they actually have to be arranged in a certain way in order to make sense. And we know this thanks to this researcher at Kyoto University who took bird calls then jumbled them up and saw how they reacted to these. So you'd play the four or five songs and, and watch when one of the songs was altered. And the birds would behave normally for the properly arranged songs and then overreact or act like something was really wrong when they got the remixed version of these. And it was it was really like it agitated them and they knew something
3: from these was really off. It's really funny to think, like, they'd get so flustered by bad grammar or just so totally. confused by it. But, you know, I, I found this uh, crazy thing. It's from this BBC story on this book, The Elements of Eloquence. And it actually says that English speakers have this unwritten rule that we use for adjectives. And basically, to understand each other, we have a specific order in which we communicate our adjectives. And mm-hmm. I, I'd never thought about this, but, like, when you string them together, it goes... Opinion, size, age, shape, color, origin, material, purpose, and then the noun, right? And hmm. that's so weird because, like, you don't think about classifying things like that, but it's kind of like a please excuse my dear Aunt Sally for words. Yeah. And in practice, it actually makes sense. Like, you'd unconsciously say something like, Big black dog, right? Like size right. before color, before noun, instead of black big dog, which just kind of makes oh, you sound true. like an idiot, right? Yeah, and you <laughs> sounded so dumb when you said that. <laughs> you know that black big dog. And, and <laughs> the book's example is even longer. So like they, they're showing you how, like, if you say something like uh, the lovely little old rectangular French whittling knife. And, <laughs> and that phrase, if, if we're saying that to one another you do get a sense of what I'm saying because you sort of understand the order in which I'm going to describe something. That you know? is
2: amazing because I don't ever remember learning anything like that in school, at least in, in, to that degree of, of specificity. But. It
3: is all just what makes sense to our ear. You know?
2: Yeah, Yeah. I guess so. All right, well, we've got two more facts to go, but before we get to those, let's take a quick break.
0: Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, Time ends. Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a man. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
4: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you.
3: back to part-time genius where we're talking grammar and language so will what's your last back going to be all right well i think i'm going to talk about this sark mark which is a new
2: punctuation mark and it was created to show sarcasm and the reason i like the mark it, it kind of looks like the at sign with a point in the middle is because you know people don't often understand jokes and text and this is a way to communicate that and you know i guess now that we have emojis and winks to show that we're kidding but The creators, these guys, Paul and Douglas Sack of Shelby Township, Michigan, they wrote on their website, quote, in today's world with increasing commentary, debate and rhetoric, what better time could there be than now to ensure that no sarcastic message, comment or opinion is left behind? (laughs)
3: It feels like they could have used a Sark mark at the end of that sentence. I think
2: probably so, yeah.
3: (laughs) But I mean, you think about it, it it could be useful, especially when like your boss is joking with you or someone in power, like a politician, you know, it would be super helpful in those instances.
2: Oh, definitely. And it's funny because the Sacks copyrighted and trademarked their sign, but it isn't the only one out there. There are lots of other fun punctuation marks like the snark mark, which isn't copyrighted. The rhetorical question mark, it kind of indicates questions you don't have to answer. You've got the authority mark and even the love point, which very sweetly has two question marks on one point facing each other to make a heart.
3: (laughs) That is kind of cute. Well, one punctuation point you didn't mention, and I'm lucky you didn't because I actually wanted to end on this, is the interrobang. Yes. And it's the exclamation point over a question mark. And it was created by this copywriter, a guy named uh, Martin Spector, who thought, you know, it didn't look very sleek in print or very professional in print when you use multiple punctuation marks at the end of a sentence. And basically, he wanted to be able to use it in ad copy. Like, he wrote this phrase, um... What a refrigerator that makes its own cubes, and, uh, <laughs> and that was his actual example. And he wanted people to be able to use these bangs both after what and cubes. So, mm-hmm. so, he ran a contest to name his new punctuation mark. And other suggestions included exclamaquest, the exclarative, and the quizzing, which I, I actually kind of <laughs> yeah, love. pretty good too. <laughs> but I guess bang is a printer's slang for an exclamation point. And it also kind of has a nice ring to it. Anyway, what's amazing to me is both how well the Interrobang succeeded and didn't. Because, you know, while no one uses it today, it was an actual key on a lot of typewriters in the 60s and 70s. Really? And there was even this upside down version of it created called the uh, Nabaretni. And uh I, I guess that's just bang backwards. And it was made to be used in Spanish sentences.
2: <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. You know, I was familiar with the bang, but I actually didn't realize that it was on keyboards that long ago. That's pretty cool.
3: Yeah, all these beautiful Smith Corona typewriters, actually. Well, I kind of want to give you the trophy today,
2: but... I don't know. It takes guts for Tristan to be walking around with that uh, terrible karma chameleon
3: <laughs> joke comma, on his comma, shirt. Comma. So uh, I feel
2: like, you know, he did this for me knowing I was a Boy George fan. He might be mocking me. You never know with Tristan. He never really lets on to whether he is or not. So I kind of feel like I want to give the trophy to him. Are you okay with that? That sounds fine to me. Awesome. And, and thanks to Eve Jeffcoat for her brilliant research as always. And thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with a full-length episode tomorrow.
1: Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.
3: This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually